This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week. That's right. A brand spanking new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, joined by my up alternate fabulous producer, Kyrie. What's up, Kyrie? Hey, what's up? What's up? In the building. Tarika, if you guys don't know, there's a lot of snow happening in the Northeast. And so we are sending our thoughts and prayers to everyone um, because the weather is rough, but Kyrie was, was kind enough to brave the weather and, and come into work. So we're going to try to speed up the show so that he can get home before all this snow piles up. But Kyrie, you're from Jersey, right? So you, you, oh, yeah. I'm, you're I'm, good with the snow. I'm kind of, I mean, they get a little more up here in Bristol, Connecticut than in Jersey, yeah. but it's, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. I'm about it, about it. Well, Tarika should be about about it too. But trust me, as soon as there was the option of hey, schools are closed, <laughs> Tarika was like, "I'm staying home with my daughter." I was like, "Yeah, no kidding." Um, but no, shout out to Tarika. We're glad that you're you're staying safe, and hopefully everybody's staying warm. Uh, we've got a great show for you today. We are going to be joined later on in the show by Adam Amin, the play-by-play announcer for the Women's Final Four, who. Just an overall great guy and has filled in seamlessly in that seat um, alongside Rebecca Lobo and Carol Lawson and Holly Rowe for our fantastic Final Four crew. So we're going to learn a little bit about the ins and outs of what Adam does and kind of what happens. I mean, it's exciting stuff. If you don't remember his play, his play-by-play call on the the winning shot from Arike last year for the national championship, then you have been hiding under a rock. Um, so we look forward to more of that from Adam and, and more great action at the Final Four this year in Tampa. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about, we're going to recap the big Monday game between UConn and South Carolina. We will talk about the NCAA reveal, um, at least I will here in a moment before we get to Adam. And then in the closing of the show, we're going to talk about some big basketball news. We taped our podcast last week before we got to talk about Maya Moore's decision to sit out the 2019 WNBA season. So, I am going to fill you in on that and also give my thoughts. But first, the big game last night was at the XL Center between the Yukon Huskies and the visiting South Carolina Gamecocks, called by our Final Four crew, also called by our Smack Talk crew on ESPN3. Asia Wilson to Sue Bird, along with Eric Freed, um, did a little simulcast where there was some trash talking between the two alumni of those teams, which was very, very fun. Uh, but... South Carolina came out strong. They looked really good. We'll crunch some numbers and talk about that. But first of all, let's hear from Rebecca Lobo, who was with Nafisa Collier after the game. Nafisa, another huge performance from you. When you came out of the game, Coach gave you a hug. What was it like for you to be out there, you know, just being so efficient once again for this team? Um, it felt really good. I thought we played great as a team today. Just to have everyone, you know, hitting our shots, executing on offense and defense. Uh, it was a really good game for us. You know, such a different defensive effort in the third quarter than we saw in the first half. What was the key for your team turning things around after the half? Um, we really just had to, we know what they want to do. We had to really focus on taking that away. Um, we were a little bit sloppy on that in the first half, so uh, just locking down on that. You and Katie Lou combined for 60 points. What is it like for the two of you? Came in together, a little bit different year for you so far this year, but to be able to produce the way you have recently. Mm-hmm. When we got off the bench, we were like, we finally both had a good game because it's usually one or the other. But um, it feels great, and um, you know, I'm really proud of how she did today and how we all really fought today. All right, Nafisa, thank you. Thank you. Actually, now that I'm listening to Rebecca doing the interview, I don't know if Holly was there because normally Holly would do the interview. Um 
anyway, I mean, the dominance of Nafisa Collier and Katie Lou was on display. Again, I talked about the first half of the game where South Carolina jumped out to a 27-23 lead in the first quarter, and then UConn did um, come back strong the second, outscoring the Gamecocks 21-16. But the game changer was the 29-12 third quarter. I mean, you know how UConn does it. They go on these runs, and then they never look back. Um, and it's just so hard to recover, especially because the crowd at the XL Center was great. Um, UConn ended up scoring 50 points in the paint. Again, Collier had 31 points, uh, was 15 for 23 from the field, 16 rebounds. Katie Lou Samuelson, 29 points, 7 rebounds, 10 for 19 from the field. Um, just a, a fantastic display in that third quarter, even on the defensive end, because that's where UConn really was struggling early on. It's like South Carolina was hitting threes. Uh, they were three for four in the first quarter from long range, shooting 57%. And so you're not used to seeing teams score so easily against UConn's defense. But um, nevertheless, the Huskies prevailed 97 to 79. And I said this last night on on Twitter. Yes, UConn did come back to win this game, which we expected on paper. UConn's supposed to win it. But you have to credit the job that Don Staley has done with this Gamecocks team. Lost Asia Wilson, the number one overall draft pick, had a very um, post-centered offense around her. Catches from the high post, low block post up. I mean, however you could get her the ball, she was a scoring machine. Now you look at this year's team and – you got to find, you know, a new closer, a new go-to. It's been a combination. Bianca Cuevas-Moore was fantastic last night with 25 points. Um, Taya Cooper had 20. Their ability to go off of the bounce is so impressive. But Ty Harris doesn't get the credit I think she deserves. I mean, we are talking about maybe the most poised, confident point guard, even when she was a freshman, right? You take it back to, um, you know, her first year at South Carolina and even when them, with them winning the national championship, she just always played above her level. And I just have the ultimate confidence when she's on the floor, when she's making decisions. Um, so shout out to the backcourt for, for South Carolina. But their, their front court was probably the biggest concern last night, and in particular Alexis Jennings, who had six points in 17 minutes. I think we expected more from Jennings. Now, not to take away from UConn's defense, but I thought that she underperformed in this game, and she's going to have to be better. Makia Herbert-Harrigan, again, one of my favorites. Even her freshman year, which was their national championship season, you know, they had lost coats, and so Herbert Harrigan had to kind of play more minutes, right? And, and yeah, they slid Alicia Gray into the post, but Herbert Harrigan became more important. I just really like her game. I mean, she plays hard. Um, she was 5 for 12 last night. Did, not going to blow you away in terms of her stats, but she could be a game changer uh, down the stretch for the Gamecocks. Anyway, that was the game of the night. But the reveal, the NCAA reveal was what everyone was waiting for at halftime. And, you know, you look at our studio crew. Last night was Maria Taylor, um, who was fantastic. Charlie Cream, who was our bracketologist. Um, Coach Andy Landers, uh, the, the Hall of Famer. And then Debbie Antonelli. So this is how the NCAA Women's Basketball Committee sees the top 16 rankings. Now, keep in mind, the top 16 teams will all host in the first and second rounds. Um, the regionals this year are Albany, Chicago, Greensboro, and Portland. So the seeding went like this. Baylor, Louisville, Oregon, Mississippi State, UConn, Notre Dame, Stanford, North Carolina State, 
Marquette, Iowa, Maryland, Oregon State, South Carolina, Gonzaga, Iowa State, Miami. The regional, this is how it broke out. Albany was Mississippi State, UConn, excuse me, Mississippi State was the number one seed, UConn to two, Oregon State three, Miami four. Chicago, Louisville one, Stanford two, Marquette three, Iowa State four. Greensboro, all the smoke. Baylor one, Notre Dame two, Maryland three, South Carolina, the four seed in Greensboro. Portland region, Oregon, the number one seed, NC State, number two, Iowa, the three seed, Gonzaga, the four seed. Take a listen to what our Charlie Cream had to say about this bracket. Charlie, I know that you're constantly busting down what the answers and solutions will be to the top 16 seeds and how everything will look on Selection Monday, but your takeaway from the first reveal we get this season. Well, the message we got from the committee here is that geography, once again, wins out over bracket balance. In some years, it's okay with the, the two kind of meet each other in the middle. Not with this reveal. This bracket is not very well balanced. I think you could look at Albany and Portland and say they are considerably weaker brackets or or regions than the other two. And I I think that does a little bit of a disservice to the game. We have Baylor and Notre Dame together in the same region, for instance. And I I, I just don't I don't like it. Mm -hmm. And I know Debbie does not like it. Yeah. Well, we don't like it either, Charlie. And first of all, I want to send a shout out to my friends um, on the NCAA selection committee um, because they have a hard job. I've done the mock selection not once but twice. I was actually in Indianapolis last year on Selection Monday um, and, and had a chance to really learn about the process and all that goes into it. This committee works really hard. They watch a lot of games. They're crunching a lot of numbers. The process is so it's just crazy. You wouldn't even be able to imagine what all goes into it. But um, we're scratching our heads a little bit because this bracket is not balanced. Now, when they were talking about geography, there's been assumptions that the NCA committee at times has slotted the bracket based on teams being closer to that region in hopes that the fans will travel. So it ends up being a little bit of a money factor, right? But, you know, it's also about the quality of the crowd and the experience for the student athlete. If the fans can drive, then place to be packed out, fun game, great for TV, all of that. But to protect the integrity of the game, should Baylor be a number one seed in Greensboro with Notre Dame as a two? South Carolina fans, which will drive to Greensboro, Should Baylor have to be that far from Waco and have the challenge of possibly uh, facing a South Carolina in a situation where they have a home court advantage if their fans are traveling? So there's a lot that goes into it. And, yeah, I'm I'm making it seem basic. It's not. You know, you've got strength of schedules and RPIs and all that stuff. There's an S-curve. There's a G-curve. There's all kind of curves. Um, but we'll continue to talk about this. This just gives us a look at what the NCA selection committee is thinking about. Um, and, and we'll continue to keep our eyes. I think the next reveal is maybe in two weeks. So, uh, we should get an idea of where things are from there, but that's the reveal. Um, again, we have Adam Amin coming up, a good interview with him. And then at the end of the show, I will give you my thoughts on the one Maya Moore. But for now, sit back, relax, and get to know Adam Amin. He's a cool guy. Three seconds. 
for a national championship or overtime. Ogumbawale for the win. Good! Alite Ogumbawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. I still get chills. I swear, I still get chills. Ladies and gentlemen, um, if you do not remember that call, it was arguably the most iconic Final Four championship call ever in the history of college basketball. Um, those pipes belong to one Adam Amin, the play-by-play guy um, on our women's championship from 2018, which arguably... I think it was the best Final Four in women's college basketball history. But anyway, we are excited to have Adam with us on the show. Welcome, Adam. Oh, man, that is, that is, that's a heck of an intro, LaChina. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I mean, when you hear that, like, tell me, do you, is that what gets you hyped for games? Like, do you have that on your phone? So, like, when you need a little pump, you listen to it? Because I get hyped listening to it. It's not like a workout mix or something like that. I'm not trying to like run sprints or you know bench press while I'm listening to it. Or right. But it does, it's what well, I think it's an interesting thing that you just said because it, it it reminds you what can happen, you know, and why we do the job. And like I, I don't want to make too much of it because it's one call in a in you know in, in at, at one point for one game. But it's a it's that's that's what you hope for. You hope every game's like that. You hope every game you call. You know, whether you're an analyst or a play-by-play announcer or a reporter or a producer or whatever, you hope that every game has something like that. And when it obviously has the stakes that that one did, it's, it, I mean, it's, it, that's hard to top, man. We might never have anything like that ever again. I'm operating under the assumption that we may never have anything like that ever again. So I'm certainly going to appreciate the fact that we got a chance to all be there to, to watch that and witness it and call it. I'm totally here for you being humble, but let me just tell you that that was not just a call, okay? That was, like, the most amazing (laughs) moment I've ever experienced in sport. Like, I'll just tell you right now. Like, I was actually sitting across from the announce table, and I got some interesting footage, too, because the crazy part was that when it happened, I was sitting diagonal from the Notre Dame bench, like, right right in front of the Notre Dame fans. So I had my phone out, but when the shot went up, I turned and I'm looking back at, at Notre Dame's fans. While my back is turned, Arike brings her, like the players over to that section <laughs> and is like standing right in front of the Notre Dame section. So I missed that. By the time I turn around, they're moving back. But the other part that I happened to get from that section was that right as, you know, they said, okay, Notre Dame won or whatever and it was done, final score, Matt, McGraw, Muffet's husband, was sitting behind yep. me, comes darting out of the stands. <laughs> when I tell you he was doing a full sprint, him and Neil Ivey's uh, son, they come, like, just running out. It was an amazing moment. But I do have to ask you this. The camera, the little spy cam, right, that was on you and yep. Rebecca and, and Kara, you know, that was repeatedly posted on, on social media, just how calm Kara was. Rebecca's response, who is not, I mean, you, it takes a lot to really get Rebecca to react, right? Yes. I mean, she's yes. got the hands on the head, all that. What did you see as you relived that moment over and over again in terms of your demeanor and kind of what the group was doing? I I think uh, Pat Lowry, our boss, our, our coordinating producer, who you know, yeah. uh, I think she kind of summed it up for, for all of us last year at our post, post-game wrap-up or whatever. And she was saying that it kind of embodied all of us like that, like our reactions in that moment kind of embodied what we're about. Like Rebecca (laughs) is like incredulous and 
I'm excited and, and that's, you know, that's my nature as a broadcaster. I, I, I like getting excited. I like big moments. And Kara is just stone cold. And yes. like, that's like, that to me <laughs> embodies just, and like, and I think that's part of the reason like we work. I, I hope that's how it comes off. But I think we work really well together, and I love those two women. Like they are, and Holly too. I, I, I certainly wouldn't want to exclude Holly from that mix either, because those three women are important people in my life as as a person. Forget just as a broadcaster, but like I think that moment on camera kind of embodies what we're all about, and I think it's a good mix, and I think it it kind of maybe represents why I think we work well together. You know, we we all have different personalities, but for some reason, I think they gel well. And obviously, when you're sitting next to two really, really, really smart people, uh, you obviously want to defer to them as much as possible. But uh, what I love about those two, as as an announcer specifically, they're, they they just have so much respect for the for the broadcast mm-hmm. for the moment. You know, like they're not just great basketball people; they're great broadcasters, and they let me have that moment and and let me call it and and Kara knows and and if it was any other announcer too they would have done that it's not I'm not special in that regard they respect the call and they respect the broadcast they respect the medium in which we're working and I just appreciate them so much for all of those reasons and and more than just that yeah you mentioned respect and one thing I admire about you and the way you've conducted yourself since becoming, you know, a larger part of of the women's basketball space is that, you know, when I first started my career, and this is just to be blunt, and this is not necessarily ESPN. I mean, I I was working like regional, smaller games. I used to work Mm -hmm. radio, but play-by-play guys would show up. If it was women's basketball, it was like, oh, well, no one's really going to be watching this. So, you know, the, the level of preparation was just different, you know, and how they respected the game was just different than if they were calling a game at Rupp Arena for the men or, you know, if they had a Coach K game, you know, they were calling Duke. And that was a that was a challenge for me. It made me better earlier in my career, but I, I always knew that I had to come in with the most knowledge, right? I had to come in and mm-hmm. and be the women's basketball expert. You have respected the game. You have just bought a professionalism to, to that position. Tell us about that phone call, you know, first receiving the call that you would be sitting in that chair calling the women's final four. Uh, man, I mean, first, thank you very much. That, that was very generous of you to say. I, I, I was, it was October of last year, so 2017, um, and I was getting ready for a playoff baseball game that I was doing on the radio that night, and I it's weird like not it's, i don't think it's crass or anything i was i literally just got out of the shower and i'm like trying to dry off i gotta get ready and hurry <laughs> up and like my phone rings and i see it's david seisler who's our uh mm-hmm. lead coordinating producer for college basketball at espn and i'm like well if he's calling and it's october this is probably kind of important so i can't, i'm sitting there like trying to dry off while i'm answering the phone and i'm on, like i put him on speaker and i'm probably yelling just trying to avoid tripping on the floor in a wet bathroom so i just remember picking up the phone and him saying, uh, hey, man, just wanted to catch up. Uh, by the way, you know, you're going to be back on Thursdays for the American Conference. That's the conference I had covered the, past, the previous season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and it was not a question. It was more of a, oh, by the way, you're doing the women's Final Four. It was not a question, do <laughs> wow. you want to do it? It was a, this is your assignment. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, all right, I'm in. That's the <laughs> I, I got it's, I almost fell over again trying not to slip in the on the bathroom floor, but like I was really just pumped for something like that because 
it, to me, it's it's the the level of game that that is. Like you're, that's an important thing for us at ESPN, mm-hmm. and and I, I really. I'm sure some people may not understand that, or if they're on the outside looking in, they wouldn't necessarily assume that. But internally, for us, for our bosses, like that's a big deal. That's a big event, Huge. and that is a that that is a privilege to be a part of that. And I took that like I took it as that as a privilege from the from the phone call. So for me, that meant all right, it's time to get ready, and it's time to get. Uh, brushed up because I hadn't called like women's games much for probably about three seasons. Mm-hmm. I had done a bunch of Sunday games for a long time with uh, Maria Taylor and Swin Cash. And uh, I'd called games with Andy Lander. So like I, like I had experience with it, but it was just the cat, you know, five or six Sundays. Now it's like, no, you're, you're, you got to be a champion of this sport. You have to be a, an expert in some ways. Obviously I defer to Kara and Rebecca and Holly as well. Cause they know the sport better than I do. But I'm going to make sure that I bring the information that I'm supposed to have, that it intelligent. Like, if Dan Schulman is calling Virginia Duke on a Saturday night, you expect Dan and Jay Billis and Maria Taylor to be experts about men's college basketball. Yes. That's the level of game that we're given. So it's my job, Kara's job, Rebecca's job, and Holly's job. And anybody else that sits in our chairs or your chair or anybody else's chair, we are supposed to be experts on that. So that's that was my mentality from the start. And I hope that continues to be the mentality. At least I hope that's how it comes off when we do the broadcast. It totally comes off. I mean, and that you care. And then there's, you know, there's multiple levels to it. And, you know, I'll say to you what I said before we got on was, you know, I've heard you talk about writers um, who cover women's basketball and calling out, you know, their articles on air. You've definitely mentioned our podcast, which we appreciate. There, there are levels to which you can be an expert, and I just feel like you have gone the extra mile and therefore have just earned the respect of, of the women's basketball fan, and we, and we definitely appreciate that. So we're going to talk about some of the teams that you've seen so far this year and just your overall thoughts. But first, I just want to talk about your journey, right, um, in broadcasting. I mean, you're you're a baby, Adam. <laughs> I just say that when I look at everything that you've accomplished, like you joined ESPN at 24 years old, like you are a baby, yet you've done so much. I mean, Saturday College Football on ESPN and ABC, the Women's Final Fours we talked about, NBA, MLB coverage. Um, you've hosted and been on play-by-play duties for the Women's College World Series, McDonald's All-American Game. Um, the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, which we will get back to, <laughs> wrestling, volleyball, baseball championships. Um, when did you know you wanted to do this, and and what do you see when you think about your journey to this point? I I didn't know that this was a, a job. You know, like I I know I've got a lot of friends in this business, and I'm sure you do too. That say, you know, I was I was seven years old, and I knew that this is what I was going to do. I was not one of those people. I. Jack of all trades, master of nothing in high school. Played sports, <laughs> played instruments, choir, theater, all that stuff. Played violin. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I was going to be good at. I don't know. I had no clue. So somebody threw me a lifeline, a friend of mine that I'd gone to high school with. He was going to Valparaiso University and was the general manager of the student radio station. And I had messed around with broadcasting in high school. And he said, listen, if you want to try it, come here. I'll put you on the air. If you don't like it, you know, you, you know, you can figure it out afterwards. But, you know, if you want to do this, like, come here. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a shot. And I was like, all right. So here we go. We go to Valparaiso University, and I walk into the student radio station, and I say, my, my friend Ken told me to come in here. What do I do? And I never left. And I, it was about a year into it. 
uh, my sophomore year, I was 19 years old, and I thought, you know what, I think this is it. I think this is what I want to do. I want to be a broadcaster. And I never would have thought in any capacity that, you know, five years after that, I would have been on national TV or doing national radio, bowl games, uh, MLB. I, n- I never expected anything like that. I'd hoped for it. I had goals for it, like we all do, but I never would have assumed that that was ever going to be the case. So it's still, I mean, I, I guess I am kind of a baby in this. I'm 32 now. You know, it's, it's, it's been a lot of mileage, but I, I still, you know, feel like I got a long way to go. I hope I have a long way to go. So I, uh, it's all, it's all gravy at this point. <laughs> like it, I never would have thought that this was possible. So it's, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. I always love to hear people's journey. And I was one of those, those as well, Adam, where I was like trying to be everything and didn't even know I could be a basketball analyst until I was in my late twenties. So I was like just getting started where you are yeah. now, but it was like, you know, I kind of feel like when you were born to do something and, and you just have a natural ability, you know, not only in, you know, your voice, obviously, which is important in our field, but, um, you know, you just, you fit it in so many ways. And I love following you on Twitter. What, give the Twitter fans your, your handle. Is it just at Adam Amin, right? Just at, just at Adam Amin. If you look at it now, you'll find, the, you'll find photos from uh, my TV watching uh, the Jacksons and American Dream. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, because so. you, because I love that you get, you know, you get into the culture of it too, right? Like you understand. <laughs> Um, a little bit of everything. So fans, you should definitely be following Adam. Don't forget that you could be one of the first to get our podcast if you subscribe. And there's tons of places you can subscribe on the ESPN app. If you have Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, just go and search Around the Rim. Hit the subscribe button and you'll be the first to hear from Tarika and I with the hottest, latest and greatest in what's going on in women's basketball. Also, you can track with us on Twitter. If you have comments, concerns, suggestions, questions, you can hit us up at Around the Rim Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. My Twitter handle is at LaChina Robinson. Tarika's Twitter handle is at she sports underscore. We appreciate you loving women's basketball. Continue to tune in. And hey, we've got more with Around the Rim podcast right after this break. Stick with us. Now, when you look at women's basketball this year, you've gotten to see some of the top teams, right? Um, the, mm-hmm. the Notre Dames of the world, the Louisville's, you know, Connecticut. Um, what are you seeing? What are your observations of kind of what you're seeing this year? What your thoughts are just overall on, you know, especially that top part of the field? You know, and obviously we're we're a little spoiled because we get to see more often than not the elite of the elite. You know, typically we're looking at top 10, top 15 teams on a week-to-week basis. So we're seeing the teams that we honestly believe have a, have, I don't, don't want to say more legitimate than any other, but probably the best shot in our estimation based on their roster makeup, based on coaching, based on the talent that's on the floor, and based on depth. I, we get a chance to see those teams pretty much every week. Well, you know, I just got back from seeing UConn in South Carolina. Uh, we're going to be in Corvallis next week for Oregon, Oregon State, which should be a phenomenal atmosphere. So the thing I've noticed the most, I think, is the teams that match up well with certain clubs don't match up well with others. I look mm-hmm. at a team like UConn still having some trouble with posts. You know, mm-hmm. the, the teams that have posts that can run the floor, the, they've given UConn problems, as we saw with Sam Puring of Louisville. We saw mm-hmm. that with Kalani Brown of uh, of Baylor give UConn some trouble. I think uh, the depth is still 
in question for a lot of teams. How deep can some of these head coaches go into their rotations? Can you go seven or eight deep? And that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but in this sport this year with this level of parity, if you go seven or eight deep, that is a huge advantage that I think Mm -hmm. uh, teams like, you know, Notre Dame has that advantage this year compared to where they were a year ago. Baylor has got that. Uh, I never would have thought Mississippi State was going to be a part of that based Mm -hmm. on everything they lost a year ago, but they've shown that level of depth. Louisville, obviously, and uh, what, what we've seen from Oregon over the course of this season. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the things that kind of stick out as, as the separators, the great separators for the teams that we really believe have a shot at a national championship. And, I, and I'd be curious what you think about this with China because we all have this sense, and you know, you, you've had a deeper history in this sport than I have. It seems like there are more teams this year than years past where we really feel like, you know what? that team could win a title, that team could win a title. It's maybe five, six, maybe even seven teams that have a legit shot at this. Oh, no doubt. I mean, and you hit the nail on the head when it comes to depth. I think experience has been a separator, but we're just seeing oh, yeah. some fantastic coaching. I mean, look at Oregon the other look at the Oregon the other day. Kelly Graves cool. and what they did okay. against Stanford at Stanford, that just doesn't happen, right? Um and so the we're seeing the game plan was was it was incredible. Oh yeah. I mean and, and that is not what we've been saying about Oregon in past years, right? It's like right. you gotta be able to score, but now they're actually playing some defense. But you're you're right. I mean, look at what UConn did last night in terms of depth. I mean, Gino benched his whole bench in the first half, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Um and it's kinda like, okay, these are the guys we're working with and we're gonna move forward and um I was having an interesting conversation with one of my colleagues this morning on a conference call and she was saying she doesn't feel like she's ever been at a place in in the women's basketball where everyone's roster is so short so when you do have a little bit more like if you're in nc state you've already lost two huge actually three if you think about their point guard their starting point guard coming into the season you've already lost three big pieces like, how far can you go? How far would that get you? Well, they hit a, a place in the ACC schedule where they needed that depth and didn't have it. And so you see, you saw them lose a couple. Um, so there's a small margin for error, but I agree with you in that, I mean, the elite teams are really elite. Every week when I do my AP poll, I can get very, very clearly through about, I would say six, seven teams at the top. And then yeah. I start to get a little confused. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, I don't know who comes <laughs> after this, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? So there's there's definitely separation. Yeah. Um, definitely separation there. Um, so in, in looking forward to what, what we have in Tampa this year, give fans just any idea of what your schedule is like at the Final Four, what you look forward to most, kind of those non-game things, you know, that they may not – know or see on the surface about what you enjoy about that entire process of, um, you know, the final four all the way through the championship. You know, this is still a sport. And I, and again, I don't, I certainly don't want to uh, overstep my bounds when I speak about this. I strictly come at this from the perspective of covering men's college basketball and a bunch of pro sports, right. And, and covering college football as well. We have a tendency to not get the same level of access in those sports as we do in women's basketball. I, do, I cover college softball. And it's not necessarily even just the access, because some of that is a requirement for teams when you get to the NCAA tournament, when you get to the Final Four, you get to the semifinals or whatever sport you're playing. But the, the level of openness of these coaches is just tremendous to me. So one of my favorite parts of covering the Final Four last year, and, and this has been one of my favorite parts of covering you know bigger events in general, is the time 
the day that we get to just talk with the teams mm-hmm. and we're in a little room and it's just the announcers and it's just the, the players. There might be a couple of other people in there. Uh, you know, if they have to tape something or if they're just documenting it, maybe it's an SID for a team, but that Wednesday, uh, I guess now, you know, now with the new schedule, it's Wednesday that we get a chance to go in with all four teams separated from the coaches and we just get to talk and we just get to learn about these players a little bit deeper. And we know a lot of these players because we've covered them at various points of the season, mm-hmm. but it's just nice to have that time with them to learn something, to get a sense of their mentality, to be able to humanize them a little bit on the air and to really give people a sense for those who haven't walked in to a college basketball game during the season, but are going to tune into the final four they want to know the personality. They want to know what kind of team is Oregon? What kind of team is UConn? What kind of team is Notre Dame, Louisville, Mississippi State, et cetera, et cetera. They want to know what can I expect when I turn on my TV and how is that going to relate to the other team that they're playing and how do these dots all connect? And a big reason that we can explain those things, uh, and certainly from my perspective, not knowing the X's and not worried about the X's and O's like Kara and Rebecca are, for me, connecting those dots essential to that is being able to sit down with them and then we get the time with the coaches and then we get just the, the build-up to that is great and I love the the preparation process so for me that Wednesday at the final four is awesome and I love that part of the process Thursday are the closed practices uh Karen Rebecca and Holly are in there I actually don't go to the closed practices I stay in my hotel room and I work on all my notes I put all my information together so I feel comfortable and ready to go on Friday and, and then that production meeting, we have this huge production meeting for the final four the night before on Thursday night. And it's all these ideas getting tossed out and the way we're going to structure the open and what are we going to talk about and what's important and what, what's a great story that we have and what's a great stat that we might want to talk about. And, and just everything coming together to close out that process before the light goes on and we actually start talking about the game. I love the build up to that. So that was just really fun for me. And I know that's been fun for Kara, Rebecca, Holly, our producer, our director, Jim Zaroli, and Jimmy Platt, and our entire crew. We love that process. So that's that's really fun for me. You know, hearing you even just say you love the prep process, fans would be amazed. And maybe it's the fans, too. But how many people that don't understand that we prepare for games? Like, <laughs> I can't tell you. I've had to tell my mom on several occasions. My mom is like, so what are you going to do all that time until the game starts? And I'm like, Mom, I'm going to study. And how about I've been studying for the last few days? How about I actually started studying for this game last week? Like, hello. You know, like there is film to be watched, articles read, um, interviews to read, stats to crunch. I mean, you have to know those two teams. You need to know the conference. You need to know what that means to the national landscape. What's at stake? I mean, player tendencies it's there's so much that goes into preparing for a game and so i appreciate that thank you for sharing that there is more guys in case y'all don't know we're working okay (laughs) we don't just show up and get to call a great game there's work that goes into it well adam i'm gonna let you go but before i let you go i have to i have to hear about this nathan's hot dog eating contest (laughs) because i'm sure that our women's basketball fans um are just chomping at the bit what is it like to call that event or to host that event you know what? It's not that different in the process. Like, you have to do the same thing. There's articles to be read. Believe it or not, there are oh, statistics to be crunched. For what? Something. What are and statistics? There's personal, there's, 
Tell personal me. Personal records, world records, like like what, oh, what's the goodness. most that this uh, particular competitor has has knocked down at Nathan's? All right, sixty hot dogs a year ago. They've passed their personal record this year. The world record seventy four uh, that we got a chance to call last year. So the process of preparation is very similar. And then when we get into it, it's a ten minute event. I've got a, a great analyst next to me. His name is Rich Shea, who is uh, one of the founders, co-founders of Major League Eating, and that is the actual governmental Major body League of competitive eating. eating. I swear to God. So it's like, oh, gosh. It's, it's the same thing. I swear to you. It's, it, you. You know a little bit of history. You know a little bit of personal information. You know some stats. And then you just call it like like as it happens in front of you like we do anything else. Do they get down to like how many bites it takes you? Like, are those stats that they would take? Like, do they get that specific with it? Like, oh, he chopped down twice. I'm I'm gonna have to pitch that now. Yeah, I think we want to go next level, next gen stats. When we go advanced (laughs) metrics, I think that's what we're gonna have to start tracking. Hey, analytics are in right now. Okay, I need to know (laughs) how many chomps are they taking? How many bites (laughs) per hot dog? Can you cut? Can you cut down on that? I've got some ideas now that you've started talking stats. I think I can help out a little bit in that area. Adam, <laughs> you, get you on the show, China. Thank oh, you. Oh, yes, for sure. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this has been delightful. I've always enjoyed my interactions with you. You're just a genuine person who obviously has a very strong feel for who you are in the world, but also what you do for, for work. And just want to say thanks on behalf of the women's basketball uh, population out here for the work you do. And we are looking forward to not only the games you have left during the regular season, but to Tampa because it's going to be hot, Adam. We're getting on a boat. So get ready. It's okay? about to go down, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> it's going down. Thanks, Adam. We appreciate you joining us. All right, fans, we appreciate you tuning in and listening to the show this week. Um, I told you that I would close with a conversation about Maya Moore. If you have not been paying attention, uh, Maya Moore made an announcement that she will not be playing in the WNBA this summer, which is obviously um, a shock to many people. And um, for those of us that love watching Maya Moore play, um, you know, we – we're sad that we're not going to see her play this summer. But I, I would ask that you would go and read the article called The Shift that she wrote in the Players' Tribune, um, where Maya talked about just taking on some different things. Um, she didn't, she did not say this was about rest. Um, Maya talked about having a purpose beyond what she does as a basketball player. Those of you that follow Maya Moore knows that she's a, a woman of great faith. She talked about you know, God and what she feels like her responsibility is through her spiritual faith um, in terms of reaching people and, and going beyond, um, you know, what she does as a basketball player to try to reach people, to help others, to spread her faith. And so I just want to send a note of courage to anyone that may be thinking about doing something different, um, maybe thinking about making a change in your life, maybe thinking that, hey, you know, I just feel this pull to to help this group of people or to to do this in my career, whatever it may be. Have courage. That's the one word that comes to mind when I think about what Maya did, because, yeah, there are going to be people that are disappointed in her, her team, um, you know, the fans, because they want to see her play. But everyone cares about Maya as a person. And if this is what's going to make her feel whole or complete or that she is fulfilling her life purpose, who am I? Who are we? Maya has given us some of the greatest moments that I've ever seen in sport. Four WNBA championships, championships with UConn, 
I mean, she has carried this sport to another level. The first woman of, of Jordan and just an overall great person. So sending love and thoughts to Maya and just thanking her for her courage, but also to anyone else that may be in a position where you feel a tug in your heart to make a change. Do you. Do you. At the end of the day, you will never regret listening to your own self, to your own intuition, to your own compass, finding your true north, sending a shout out and lots of love to my more. And with that, fans, we're done with today's show. We hope you tune in next week. We'll be here. Hopefully, Tariq will be back. You know, we never know what she's going to do. But uh, we appreciate you listening to Around the Rim, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Kyrie. Anytime. Rutgers girls, keep your head up. <laughs> Rutgers all day. See Viv. That's where Kyrie stands. In case you had any questions, that's his team. We'll be keeping an eye on them in the next few weeks as well. Thank you, guys. Peace. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.